so I've been asked, you know, what about the culture shock when I came back to, got back to the U.S. And I, I, I didn't feel there was that much culture shock in what I came back to. Uh, however, my kids and I were definitely in shock um, over what we had experienced, what we had gone through, and the fact that we were kind of plunged in the middle <laughs> of no home, no nothing, no husband. Um, and uh, thankfully, my husband was evacuated um, about two months later, um, and uh, he did eventually return home safely after debriefing in Germany and then uh, a stint at the Pentagon for a short while. He returned to us. We were um, living in Michigan at that time and moved on to his next duty station. Um, the, uh, the reaction I get from people when I say it, that we were in Iran during the Islamic Revolution was, oh, wow. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Not even like, what was that like? <laughs> Which is okay. I certainly don't need to go into it every time because uh, once it gets started, it's hard to stop. <laughs> um, uh, I think one of the most disappointing reactions so far as I'm concerned was um, the m military community, particularly the spouses of high-ranking uh, officers, I really was ostracized um, and pretty much made persona non grata on uh, the military base I lived close to because I had spoken out and said that I uh, felt like um, the military had not been uh, forthright with us and told us and in fact really used the dependence as sort of a, um, a pawn to negotiating chip to try to um, extend uh, and and the 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 diplomatic efforts uh, that were underway to try to keep the embassy um, uh, vital uh, and the diplomatic mission of the U.S. Um, vital in that country. Sometime after my husband had returned uh, to the states, and we uh, were living in Southern California. Uh, that was his next duty station. It was Riverside Air Force Base in Riverside, California. The uh, U.S. Embassy was overrun, and, and in fact, people—not many people know it—it was overrun for the second time. Um, it was a, it was invaded um, shortly after the revolution got underway, uh, but it was relatively short-lived. Uh, the second invasion of the U.S. Embassy by the revolutionaries uh, occurred in late um, 1979. And um, uh, it, it was just disbelief and dismay that such a thing could happen because U.S. Embassies are considered, uh, they're, they're just sacred, <laughs> sacrosanct to the, um, it's like invading a, a, the, the country that, uh, of the embassy. Uh, so it was almost like an invasion of the United States when the revolutionaries overran the embassy and, and took the hostages. I don't know that I knew any of the people who were held hostage personally. My husband did because they were almost all um, either related to the military somehow or in the diplomatic mission. Um, but one of the hostages I did, and he was the superintendent of Tehran American School, and uh, I worked 
at the Tehran American School um, as uh, in the in the media center and um, the when the superintendent was listed as a hostage I was almost shell-shocked uh, because I had understood that he was gone that he had gone to Pakistan and he was trying to kind of regroup uh, uh, there were so many teachers, faculty members, and so forth, whose uh, records and schools, uh, children whose school records were uh, still in Tehran, and without them, they were kind of stuck and not being able to get back into schools or get new jobs. Um, and he apparently had gone back to Tehran and was in the embassy the day that it was overrun, and he just happened to be among the hostages. Uh, who were taken. So I, of course, followed the drama of that every day. Years after the hostage event, they had all been released. And in fact, the superintendent and I, um, uh, who was superintendent of schools and incidentally got caught up there, he in fact had died. He was the first of the hostages to die after they were released. Um, so a movie was made uh, years later, uh, called Argo, and it was about uh, the Canadian diplomatic corps, the Canadian embassy, and its um, uh, role in the hostage uh, crisis. And uh, I had kind of mixed feelings about whether or not I wanted to see the movie, because so often movies do not accurately depict uh, an actual event. You can even take, and I base that, I guess, more on uh, books that I read, uh, novels and so forth, that then um, are turned into movies. And uh, I really dislike seeing the movies because I say, no, that's not <laughs> how it was in the book. <clears throat> uh, so I was really concerned that it would not be an accurate uh, portrayal and would further disseminate uh, misinformation. Uh, but I did go eventually. And um, I, I'm really, I think I'm really too close to everything to be objective. But I, I felt like it, it was a pretty good portrayal. I was not aware of the Canadian Embassy's um, role in freeing uh, the, or, or helping people uh, get out of Iran. Um, uh, but uh, the, the depiction of everything uh, seemed to be pretty right on insofar as people's uh, uh, reaction to things. There, there was one scene that I thought, oh my gosh, this would absolutely never happen. There was an obviously um, a Western woman. She had blonde hair and blue eyes, fair skin, and she was running through the bazaar. She was looking for something. I don't remember the exact um, situation, uh, but she was in the bazaar. The bazaar is in a very... Uh, um, is very deep in the inner city of uh, of Iran, uh, and uh, the women are even when I was there, the women wore uh, shadors, which is the black uh, body and hair head concealing um, robe or garment. Um, uh, at the very very least, women wore headscarves, and here she is with nothing on her flowing blonde hair, <laughs> and nobody's saying or doing anything. And at that point, the, um, the uh, revolutionary police were very, very much in force. And they stopped 
anybody and everybody for anything they thought violated the Islamic um, uh, faith and, and traditions and tenets. And I thought, oh, that would never have happened. But that was about the only thing that did not seem uh, really um, accurate. If, if I could tell the people of Milwaukee what Iranians are like from my experience in living in Iran, um, I just, I just would really want Milwaukeeans to know how friendly and hospitable they are. They love children. They love life. Um, they want for their families the same thing that we all want for our families. You know, a, a well-being, um, uh, a sense of security and and happiness. Um, and uh, I have lived <laughs> since my time in Iran with the hope that eventually relations between the two countries, the governments, could normalize to the point that we could once again um, uh, get to know each other as people. Um, I, I remain friends with uh, a couple, my husband and I both remain friends with a couple that we met in Milwaukee. He uh, was on faculty at uh, one of the universities here, and he was uh, and his wife were forced to return to Iran. They were really blackmailed into returning to Iran, which they very much did not want to have to do, but the safety and well-being of some of their family members was at stake. So, um, we remain in contact, and uh, their wish is the same as ours. We want very much for people to know uh, the people of our countries. We want very much to be able to get together again. We were such good friends while they were here. Um, and I, I have glimmers of hope. There was, what did they call it, the Green Revolution? And I really thought, this is it. Uh, but the country is still... Uh, at the mercy of the uh, religious theocracy. The uh, Ayatollahs really do call the shots. Uh, I had another real glimmer of hope during past administration's agreement uh, with Iran uh, that they would um, stop their nuclear weapons development. And uh, I really thought this, this is a step in the right direction. Let's keep it going. Um, so things have taken a different turn, and um, uh, you can never say never. We, we do hold out hope that eventually the Iranian people and the American people can become friends again.